You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Yesterday, the owners passed a new overtime rule, so each team now has an opportunity to touch the ball in overtime in the postseason. Won't be in the regular season. We can't be certain how it's going to turn out, but this is about star power at the quarterbacking position, and the league has changed a whole quarter to cater to quarterbacks because Josh Allen didn't get to touch the ball against the Kansas City Chiefs. Here is the commissioner, Roger Goodell, on overtime changes. We're always looking to improve. And I think what really drove the decision was the database, ultimately, and looking at the facts and what's happened. Where we saw that most having an influence, I think it was 12 games in in the postseason have been in overtime, uh, seven of which, I believe, were won on the first possession. When you see that, that's the type of thing that I think our coaches never looked at. This is an issue in the postseason we should deal with. I don't necessarily mean believe that just because we're doing in the postseason, that'll lead to the in the post uh, in the regular season. Though. Not to correct the commissioner, but I'm going to correct the commissioner since 2012. The team that started with the ball won eight of ten postseason overtime games. He was one all. Let's bring in uh, the popular Peter King, football morning in America economist. If the NFL asked you a week ago, Pete. What would you suggest for overtime in the postseason? What would you say? I'd say you should do exactly what they did. Dan, I think all the other things that are discussed are interesting. Just continuing playing football, having a timed quarter, all that stuff. It's all interesting. But I think the one issue that solves almost everything is simply mandating that the other team get a possession, the second team get a possession. And I'll tell you why. The NFL, one of the reasons that they didn't pass this in the regular season is that coaches don't want to create longer football games in general. And the players union is adamantly against creating longer games, especially now that the league has gone to a 17 game season. And I understand all the other things that have been discussed. And I think all of them have merit. I mean, everyone, you know, the merit of just continuing to play football. But I do think that this one basically solves all the global issues. And Dan, I think one of the other things that it does, it's going to add, uh, in my opinion, intended consequences of having a much more strategic decision and decisions to be made in overtime. Because I believe that most coaches now, if they win the toss to start overtime, are going to defer. Yep. You want the ball second yeah. because you want to know what you have to do. If you hold the team on first down and all you need is a field goal to win, that's different, obviously. So I think it's going to, it's going to, it's going to create some strategy that doesn't currently exist. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, if you were a coach and you won the coin toss, you're more likely to probably defer. Uh, I'm guessing the numbers, the analytics may bear that out. I'm sure, you know, there can be none yet because yeah, I, there, there, this hasn't existed, but I, I don't know why you wouldn't take the ball second. Um, you know, unless you're a huge believer in momentum. And if you have finished uh, the fourth quarter by scoring 10 points in two minutes and the crowd's going crazy and then you, you get your choice or, or, you know, whatever, you, you would probably then choose, you might choose to take the ball, but I think most coaches are going to defer. Yeah, that's a great point of momentum and riding that momentum. Um, the situation going on with Deshaun Watson and the commissioner, and he said he's not going to put him on the commissioner's exempt list. Uh, Which is a big story, by the way. Yeah. I was surprised at that. Why, why do you think he said he wouldn't put him on the exempt list? I think it's pretty simple uh, that I think the NFL is a little bit, I don't want to say fearful, but they have trepidation about using that as a catch-all because they've used it in the past. And, you know, I also think, Dan, that can you imagine if you were the Haslams and you're already under fire? And and just imagine if they put this guy on the commissioner's exempt list until all of his legal issues had been adjudicated and you had to pay $46 million to a player for not playing 
in a season if all these issues weren't adjudicated. But I do think it's significant they said that. And now I think the big question is if they do wait for all of those uh, suits to be settled one way or the other, theoretically, it's possible that he wouldn't be suspended till 2023, theoretically. And we looked at the restructuring of that contract or the structuring of that contract, and he's going to make a little over a million. And as I pointed out yesterday, while it looks like he's kind of bracing himself to be suspended, Aaron Rodgers is only going to make a million dollars. Yeah, most contracts are done that way. The only reason why everybody brought that up and why I said that made me so angry I wanted to spit nails is because it's very clear that the Browns like this, that that was a selling point clearly to Deshaun Watson to say that, hey, listen, we are totally in your corner. And no matter what happens this year, we're going to hand you $45 million signing bonus, and we're not going to ask for any of it back, regardless how long you're suspended for. We're talking to Peter King, Football Morning in America columnist. Um, who do you think is in more in limbo, Garoppolo or uh, Baker Mayfield? Probably Garoppolo, because I would expect that something would happen with Baker Mayfield before the draft. I'm not sure that Garoppolo will get traded before the draft. I think that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch absolutely have told him they love Jimmy Garoppolo, love him. Uh, And they're going to do the best thing for Garoppolo, if at all possible. But I can see a scenario. If I were the 49ers right now, I'd hang on to Jimmy Garoppolo until something uh, non-fortuitous (laughs) <laughs> fortuitous for the 49ers, but bad for somebody else. Some quarterback gets hurt and there's a desperate need for one. And I could see that happening. And if I were them, that's exactly what I do. I'm not trading them for a four or, or something like that. I'm hanging on to them because look, the 49ers are in position in a weakened NFC to get to the Super Bowl. They came very close last year to getting to the Super Bowl. And so why would they give up the insurance of being really good at the quarterback position? So I think they hang on to them until they get a decent offer. Well, it's like when Teddy Bridgewater got injured and Sam Bradford was traded from the Eagles and they, I think, got a number one pick uh, or first they round did. pick for him. And that trade happened, Dan, that trade happened on Sunday of Labor Day weekend or Saturday on Labor Day weekend, like eight days before the season started. So that's why you hang on to Jimmy Garoppolo, because you just never know what's going to happen. And then Baker Mayfield with that salary, that that would be a nice salary for a starting quarterback, but nobody wants to pay $18 million for a guy that you're not sure if he'll be a starting quarterback. Is that the biggest hang up here? Yeah. I mean, well, that plus the fact that most teams have settled their quarterback uh, situation uh, and, and that hasn't included Baker Mayfield. The thing is, Dan, do you want to pay $18.9 million uh, for a quarterback to play 17 games who you're not sure he's going to be anything other than a bridge quarterback for your team? Imagine you're the Carolina Panthers and you would sign him, let's just say. I mean, first of all, then you stand in the way of getting some final answer on Sam Darnold you might stand in the way of saying, man, we love Malik Willis. Uh, let's just take him at number six. And, and if you're Seattle, I mean, you, if you were to sign Baker Mayfield in Seattle, you would want, I would think, to do an extension with him and say, hey, look, we're going to give you a real chance to be our quarterback, but we don't want to hamstring ourselves financially to do it. Yeah, it feels like if I'm Carolina, you know, a couple of these teams you mentioned, I may just try to get through this year. I may roll the dice, may draft somebody and just and see if I find, you know, gold here. Not bring somebody in who's going to be ready to get extended and want, you know, whatever kind of money if he has a successful year. You know, this is a funny year for the draft, Dan, because you saw in December, everybody said, no quarterback's going to get picked till 26. Or, you know, you were seeing all those things. Well, now you have all the pro days. And you got one team that's excited about Desmond Ritter. You've got a couple of teams that are really excited, uh, you know, about about Malik Willis. Uh, you know, and obviously Kenny Pickett 
the interesting story about Kenny Pickett is that if you really search deep into the archives, the deep internet, and you guys can find this, it's hilarious. There is a photo of Matt Rule and high school junior Kenny Pickett <laughs> posing at Temple University after he agreed, uh, you know, committed to go to Temple. And then seven months or eight months later, Matt Rule was gone. He rescinded his commitment and changed to Pitt. But that has drawn a lot of people to say, hey, what about the Panthers yep. and Kenny Pickett? And just imagine, though, what would be really interesting if Pickett makes it to the top of the second round. Who knows? Carolina could end up picking him. Okay, we have a draft bet. Paulie thinks that a quarterback will be selected in the first 13 picks. Uh, I would I would agree with that, but I would also say that I'm not at all convinced that whoever picks a quarterback will pick at their original, their current spot. Oh, I would not be surprised. Let's say the Steelers are in love with Malik Willis. I don't know that they are or they aren't, but uh, Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert have been to all these pro days. Uh, but the, whoever, the Steelers pick 20th. If there's a guy they really want, you know, they've shown it. They'll be active to try to move for him. Great to talk to you, Pete. Hope you're doing well, and uh, thanks for joining us as always. Okay, Dan, all the best to you. That's Peter King, Football Morning in America columnist and contributor to Football Night in America. Paulie just sent me the picture, and there's Kenny Pickett. Got his uh, Temple jersey on, and there with Matt Rule. And and, uh, Pickett, of course, ended up going to uh, Pitt. Seton, what uh, poll question do we have today? Well, Dad, to start the show off, we put up who is your NBA MVP Ooh. right now? We only gave three options. Okay. Because, like, Jason only Tatum's. three? Yeah. Jason oh. Tatum's not getting it. Okay. Booker's not getting it. All right. Um, LeBron's probably not getting it. Yeah. Right? So we have Nikola Jokic, uh, Joel Embiid, or Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm going to give you credit for the pronunciation there. Thanks. Well done. I would probably put Luka in there. He's not going to win. I think it'll be curious to see, does LeBron finish top five in the league vote, not our vote with the show? I'm curious if he finishes top five MVP. I'll put LeBron in there too. When's the last time LeBron didn't finish top five MVP? Ooh. I'm curious. Because out of those three, I, I've been saying for a couple of months, I thought it was Embiid, his, his award to lose. And not that he'll lose it, but... Man, the Greek freak is coming to get it. Yeah, Paulie. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Luca's not really mentioned. And Mavericks are stepping up this year. I think they've I won. I think they have the third best record right now. They, yeah, they're forty-seven and twenty-nine, and they've won seven more games this season than they did at this point last season. And he doesn't have a number two guy. Like all of these guys were t- now. You know, you can say the Greek freak doesn't have a traditional number two guy. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. Those are those are really good players. But you know, Luca's got. Dinwiddie, Brunson, they traded Porzingis. So when you go, hey, you got to do it every single night. Remember when Durant was going, yeah, they were double teaming me. Yeah, that's what Luka faces every night, KD. You've been on all these teams where you got a lot of talent. You know, when Kyrie's not playing, you're like, "Eh, they're double teaming me. Did you see where Kyrie said that he needs some rest? (laughs) No, he didn't. (laughs) He did. He said he needed some rest. Well, that's when, you, like, when you go back from a vacation and you work two days, you're, right. you're like, I need a break. <laughs> I'm tired from my vacation. Oh, uh, Andrew in Washington. Andrew, welcome back to the program. All righty, guys. Good morning. Thanks for uh, taking my call again. I appreciate it. Um, thanks for the segue from Peter King to the NBA, because that's what I wanted to talk about. I really think LeBron James has one focus and one focus only. That's getting his 78% of games played and winning the scoring title. Yeah. The Lakers looked horrible last night. But in that realm, you always say the MVP is a storyline. I don't think Jokic is going to go back-to-back. That's not what they want. No. Giannis three times is very elite company, but I think that's where they'll go for the story. And I do have a stat of the day. All right, Marvin, hit the music.
The Lakers allowed 82 points. Yes, 82 points in the first half last night for the Dallas Mavericks. That's the most first half points allowed by the Lakers since Hotline Hunley and Boo Ellis played for the Minneapolis Lakers in 1959. That was good. Phone quality, not as good, but we'll accept that. By the way, Paul George scored 34. First game back in three months. The Clippers were down 25 and beat the Jazz last night. There have been seven comebacks of 24 or more points in the NBA this season. Four of them by the Clippers. Stat of the day, stat of the day, stat of the day, stat of the day. Here comes that what? stat of the day. Uh, yes, Paulie Esther? I don't like it. Paul George scoring 34, 35. He's got to have a couple 17, 21-point mm. games. Stay healthy. Mm. Too, mm. Don't do too much. Don't yes, overdo it. That's true. He's just coming back from vacation. He may need a rest. Yes. You know, just like Kyrie. I am exhausted. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Poll question for the first hour, and are we keeping that for the second hour, Seton? Dan, we had up, uh, who's your M- uh, NBA MVP right now? It's basically a three-way tie between Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh. Uh, Luka and LeBron are down there, but they're not really getting a lot of votes right now. All right. Now. Are we going to stay with that for the second hour? Um, we can stay with that. We can also switch it up. We've got a few other options. Okay. We've got uh, what we're calling the honorary super bad movie poll. Oh, well, hold on. Hold off on that. Okay. Hold off on that. All right. Do we have anything that pertains to overtime? Um, yes, we do, as a matter of fact. Uh, Paul sent this one in. Oh. If you were a coach and won the overtime toss, would you take the ball and go for two if we score, or would you kick off and get the ball second? All right, let's bring in Brandon Staley, the Chargers head coach. Coach, I'll start right there with you. You're an analytics guy. Strategy-wise, now with overtime and both teams get the ball, what do you think you're going to be uh, leaning towards if you go into overtime in the postseason? Well, it's good to be with you, Dan. Hopefully you can appreciate that Dayton Flyer helmet in the back of uh, this movie. Looks pretty. Um, really good to be with you. Uh, yeah, it's... By the way, uh, you have to join the list of John Gruden and Chuck Knoll as, you know, University of Dayton grads who went on to win a Super Bowl. So no pressure there, but you need to, ju- you know, jump in uh, into that group there. Yeah, or join you know guys like Dan Patrick who have become a sports icon, mm. starting, starting his own show, pioneer. Yeah, you know. Well, that was McVeigh. Sean McVeigh was on that list. Sean McVeigh was going to go into the media. You know, not you. Yeah, his, yeah, McVeigh claims Dayton through his grandpa, I think. So, well, we're going to have to look into that a little bit. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, yesterday was a an important day for the league, and there was a lot of really good discussion. I think being a part of the discussions. You see that the the future of the league is really important to the people in it, and there was a lot of um, good dialogue. I think healthy discussion, and uh, I think that we came to the conclusion that the postseason was where really the the change needed to be made. And uh, I think that as as you saw with the vote, that um, you know that there was a you know, really you know significant support for it. So uh, I think that it is going to change things when you don't have that sudden death element. Um, I do think that there's going to be some you know different calculation as you head. Um, into the game. And I think that now when you're guaranteeing both possessions, um, you know, which side of the field you're on, hey, you know, wind, you know, that sort of thing, knowing that you are going to get an op, um, you know, it's just like that. It's that information advantage that you have by possibly deferring um, because you don't have that sudden death element. So uh, and I think the thinking is that if uh, you did go down and score and and, and kick an extra point that, hey, the likelihood of the, the second team going down and not going for two to win it, um, you know, they're saying is, is low. But um, if you did, if it did end up going, you know, score PAT, score PAT, that next score would, would, would finish it. And, and I think that there was just a lot of discussion of, hey, past this initial period, hey, then what's going to happen? Is there is there still a time element, which there will be? You're going to flip the field and just head in a different direction. So uh, it was it was a good resolution. And 
And now we're uh, we're finally headed towards something. Are you okay with the overtime rule in the regular season? Yes, you know I think the you know our position with the Chargers was that the rules are already different in the postseason uh, as opposed to the regular season. Um, you know, in the regular season you can end in a tie, postseason you can't. So the rules were already different, and and so we support uh, we support the things staying the way um, it is in, in the regular season. What was your initial reaction when you learned that Tyreek Hill was no longer in the AFC West? Yes, one of those really significant moves that was sort of the theme of this offseason. Um, you know, I think defending the guy over the course of these, you know, however long I've been in the NFL, um, he's definitely a dangerous player. One of the most, I think, dangerous weapons that's ever played in the National Football League. Uh, but at the same time, one of the most dangerous players to ever play in the NFL uh, is the guy who was throwing it to him. So <laughs> that, that guy's still that guy's still there. Um, they've got a team, which is the reason why they've been to the AFC Championship game two, three or four years in a row. And so it was a monster move for sure. Um, I've got full respect for him. He's still in the AFC. So uh, we're still going to be running into that guy. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that, you know, Kansas City's resume speaks for itself. And the competition, I think, Dan, what you're seeing is it's, it's as fierce as it's ever been in the league, which is good for the league. I wonder, it felt like the defensive strategy last year against Kansas City was keep everything in front of you. No home run plays. And really, you would give Mahomes... 10, 12, 15 yards, you're just not going to give him that opportunity to break something big. And it seemed to frustrate him. It, it, is the league, do you think that was a kind of a philosophy there, group philosophy going against Kansas City? Well, I think everyone, you know, has been searching for, for several years a formula that can work for them. Um, and there aren't too many good ones, that's for sure. Uh, but I think, you know, you just got to take into consideration who they have over there, uh, who's, who's throwing the football, and, and kind of how he plays and then who those weapons are he's throwing to. I mean, starting with Tyreek and Travis, you know, those are two of the best players at their positions in the history of the game and kind of how they play off schedule with Pat, who's such a dangerous thrower on the move and he's accurate in the deep part of the field on the move. Um, and, you know, kind of the miraculous really isn't that big of a miracle with him because he does it all the time. Uh, and then they just got a lot of team speed elsewhere outside of those three players. So I think, um, that certainly was a strategy, but I think that's probably too, uh, too vague of, uh, of a way of describing it um, because you still got to be connected with these guys. If you're playing zone, um, these guys are, you know, he's going to throw for 80 to 90 percent. He'll throw for 450 or 500. Um, you may it may take him longer to score, but he's still going to score. So you, you have to still decide how you're going to play the game. And um, but again, that's why, what makes them such a challenging cover. What did you learn in your first year that might surprise me? I think that uh, in my first year, I think the way I describe it is that everything was happening for the first time all the time. So if you can imagine that every day, something's happening to you for the first time. Um, and I think that a lot of people would say like, hey, is that is that stressful? You know, and I would say my response to that was I, I felt like it was energizing because I knew how good I needed to be every single day in order to make those improvements. And um, I think that I got a lot better from the first time I think I interviewed with you when I got hired to, to this interview. Uh, I know how much I've improved and I know how much better I am uh, in my own game. Um, but that first year went by fast. Everybody said that it would. And I think uh, for that reason that I mentioned uh, that that was a big contributing factor. But also you're getting in front of the media after a tough loss. Whereas when you were a coordinator, you don't have to talk to the media. What's that like? You lose a game, gather your thoughts, and then go get peppered with questions. Well, I think it was like when I was playing at quarterback, you kind of have that responsibility if it doesn't go down, you know. And, and so I think that having played that position, that, that kind of uniquely prepares you. Growing up being a, a quarterback and a point guard, uh, you're kind of faced when it doesn't go down, that, that everyone's looking at you. So um, I think that um, there was – you know, that finality when you lose in the NFL, I think um, being in the NFL, you see it, you see, uh, and everyone talks about it that way. But I think being the head coach and knowing that, hey, you're responsible for a lot, a lot of people, forget, forget, you know, um, the game itself, but just the people that were playing in the game and the people, your fans, who this means so much for, um, you're accountable for that. And, and it's, a, it's a great responsibility. And that's why when you go in front of the media after a tough game, you know, you have to be on, you know, to make sure that 
um, you do your best to explain what happened and to the best of your ability. And, and that's what I tried to do this year. I ask about your impressions uh, when Tyreek Hill left the AFC West, your uh, initial reaction when Russell Wilson joined the AFC West. Yeah, I mean, competition is fierce. And I think that, um, you know, I've, I've played against Russell a lot in my NFL career, watched him uh, throughout his whole career. I mean, going back to NC State, Wisconsin, um, you know, he's, he's one of the tremendous players at that position in, uh, in the NFL. And uh, when I was with the Rams, we had to face him three times in one season and, and twice in three weeks uh, at the end of the season. So uh, it just, again, it's, it's special for the league. Uh, and, and he's one of those players that plays, you know, one of the most important positions in sports. So uh, I think it, it, it's going to bring out the best in everybody for sure. Does Sean McVay rub it in that he's got a Super Bowl ring? Does he just, you know, does he send you a, a text or something or when he sees you, hey, I want you to address me as Super Bowl winning coach, anything like that? No, nah, Sean's too uh, too humble to do that. And, and he knows better than to do that. Uh but um, no, he he would never do something like that because he the game you know how you do things matters to him. Um, He's got to have fun with you though, Brandon. No, nah, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't go there because um, uh, he you know we play him this year. So uh, you know, um, but um, no, Sean uh, Sean deserves everything that he that he's um, achieved, and including this year, he was fantastic. He did a really good job coaching that team. And that's what I told him. You know, I just told him, I was like, I thought you did a really good job coaching your team because people talk about the end and kind of their players who they joined up with. But there was a stretch there in the middle where I don't think anyone was predicting that the Rams yeah. uh, were going to make it to victory lane. And um, that's the sign of an organization that um, that's, that's built to last to be able to respond to a tough stretch. And, and that's what they did. Who do you get mistaken for? <laughs> Man, damn that, that. I don't know if I was ready for that one. Um, I don't know that. <laughs> well, you're in that. L.A. I mean, did you ever been mistaken identity for an actor? Uh, I don't know. I, I've gotten some Johnny Knoxville comps in the past. <laughs> um, uh, you know, there was like a, a time there. Um, you know, I kind of, you know, and I'm the same age as Matt Weiner, uh, who, you know, former quarterback. Uh, you know, but um, those are two names that have been thrown out there in okay. the past. I don't know how accurate they are. Right. Um, and then, you know, throughout the year, I was getting peppered with these questions about this Ted Lasso guy. So um, I haven't watched that show yet, but I'm, I'm told that I need to. So Amy and I may join up with that show here soon. I kind of see Peter Brady from the Brady Bunch. You know what, Dan, now that you mentioned that, I've heard about that. And again, that was kind of before my time, uh, which probably dates me a little bit um, on the youthful side. But I, I didn't join up with that show as a young kid. So, Well, if you Google Peter Brady, you might go, okay. I, I, yeah, he's it, got a point. It's, yeah, not, a, it's it. not an insult. It's not an insult. Uh, that was a successful show. Man. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, and Johnny Knoxville, I could see that. He even had the, the voice. Kind of raspy in there. I could see that. Get those glasses on. I could see that. Maybe bring yeah, Johnny, Johnny Knoxville good, to practice. Johnny had a great run, man. He's still doing it. Yes, so he is. Got a lot of respect for that guy. Hey, great to talk to you. Enjoy the off season. Good luck in the draft, and uh, always great to visit with you. Thanks, Dan, for having me. That's uh, Brandon Staley, Chargers head coach. You know, these guys get ready for the questions, get a little programmed, and then all of a sudden you slip in. Who do you uh, get mistaken for? Not ready for that. That's that's the Mahomes in me. You know, I, I can still surprise you a little bit there. Had to throw him off his game a little bit. I knew he had a couple of them in there. Yeah. I didn't get Ted Lasso. Johnny Knoxville, I get that. Peter Brady, though, to me, when I saw his picture this morning that he was going to be on the show, I said, Peter Brady, huh? <laughs> Look, right? Yes, he... Yeah, after that Charger loss to the Raiders, get that. All you got to do is slow down the theme song and when something sad happens. Someone stole Marsha's lunch or whatever. She gets hit in the face with a football. Cheating on the social studies test, Marsha? <laughs> but I, I don't know what TV executive said, hey, I got a great way to put something into a script where we don't have to have any words. 
We'll just have a little bit of music in there. That's the exact theme song, but just slowed down yeah. to the sad thing that happened. Oh, he lost his job as a... Uh, now they're going to pay the rent. Yeah, boy. That show used to have the best sports cameos. They Brady did. Brady. I think Joe Namath. Yes. Uh, Deacon Jones, I think, was on there. Uh, was Fred Dreyer Probably. on there? I think. We should Google how many uh, how many athletes was Kareem on there. Oh man, that's a good one. I don't know if Kareem was on there, but you know they uh, didn't. Joe Namath he was he was there to teach Peter how to throw the football. Yeah, just coincidentally, he was at the taco joint down the street, and he's in the backyard, which has astroturf. I know they had astroturf. That probably hurt Joe's knees worse. Yeah. <laughs> How about yeah, Joe Namath is in our backyard. He's in full uniform, face mask, eye black, <laughs> Jets uniform. I know. <laughs> and, and we were entertained. Well, the only reason why I watched is the girls were good looking. He was at Ralph's grocery store around the corner in full uni. And just stopped over the Brady's. <laughs> He's buying a six pack. And uh, <laughs> hey, uh, Joe, you're buying a six pack. Yeah. Hey, could you come in my backyard? I like to learn to throw football. Sure. Yeah, he just got a big game this week. <laughs> yeah, Mar. I was going to say, speaking of uh, cameos with somebody in their full game uniform, Mike Piazza on Baywatch, he's swinging a bat on the beach. <laughs> I mean, in full uniform, swinging a bat on the beach. Yeah, he's wearing stirrups. <laughs> All-star Mike Piazza? I, 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 <laughs> what are you doing on the beach? Yeah. What are you doing here? Yes, Todd. I see something here that says uh, Don Drysdale, a very special oh. guest of Southern California's favorite family. It was up to him to stop Greg from being the dropout. <laughs> Don Drysdale. Because that's who you want to have. You're going to have Don, the, the late Don Drysdale. It started out where he's like, he just wanted to drop out from school. And, it's, and then Don Drysdale. Started, Is that because he's going to be a, a superstar uh, singer? He's Johnny Bravo. Isn't that who he turned into? <laughs> yes. Didn't he have his like alter ego, Johnny Bravo? <laughs> yes, Paul. Yeah, Don Drysdale comes to the house. He happens to be friends with architect Mike Brady. What a coincidence. <laughs> How does an architect hang out with the greatest pitcher on the Makes sense. Dodgers? I didn't Mike. I, Mike didn't have much of a life. I never <laughs> saw him get out. There's another episode where the Peters team is the little football team. They're wearing, by the way, jeans and helmets <laughs> at practice. All of a sudden, Deacon Jones, all pro for the Rams, walks up <laughs> in a leisure suit, for God's sake. Hey, kids, here's how you head slap Jimmy. And, you know, we we were so young watching the Brady Bunch. Like, you're not processing it. It's not like somebody said, uh, what, isn't that strange that you got Joe Namath in a full uniform there? Hey, Don Drysdale's to, trying to help your kid not, not be a dropout. Sure, I'm going to believe it. All right, let me take a break. Uh, more phone calls coming up. And uh, an interesting, interesting story about a musician who is canceling a concert on Saturday so he can go see the final four. If you got tickets to that. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Mike check. Mike check. If you want exclusive insight from the biggest names in the sports game, what's good? This is national champion and former pro baller Chris Johnson. And let me tell you a little bit about my new series, KJ Live. KJ Live is the only show featuring me going one on one with the brightest basketball minds on the planet to get the real. And when I say real, I mean that real. I got legendary Hall of Famers, elite coaches, and the top basketball insiders bringing you a unique perspective on all things hoops culture that you will not find anywhere else. To make your next move your best move and tap in with me on KJ Live, wherever you get your podcast from. We'll check in with the great NBA writer, Brian Windhorst. The Mothership will join us coming up. Brian, a couple of days ago, said that he thinks the Lakers will consider trading Anthony Davis. That feels like everything will be on the table. He'll join us coming up here. Stunning design, unmatched intelligence, and a compact ready-for-anything build. Sometimes exceptional is the rule. 2022 Mercedes-Benz GLA, member of the unrivaled SUV family. Learn more at MBUSA.com. More phone calls coming up. And I uh, look up, and there he is, Brian Windhorst, the ESPN senior NBA writer. Thanks for joining us, Brian. I mentioned that you said everything will be on the table for the Lakers this offseason. That includes Anthony Davis. What leads you to believe that? I just, I don't, Dan, I don't know what they're going to do. 
I, 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 I'm looking at with the cards that they're holding. Um, I, I just don't know how they dramatically get out of this situation. And so I think they'll discuss it. Do I think they'll do it? I don't know. I don't see a trade that makes sense uh, for them right now. Also, I don't know if I would trade a guy who's a top 15 player when he's healthy because it's so hard to get that. And I don't think you're going to get that in return. So ultimately I don't think they will, but I'm just looking at what they have to do. Like, like Dan, I honestly think that they're going to have to call the other 29 teams and they're going to have to say, what can you send us for Russell Westbrook? You know, not as a player, forget about him as a player just as a $47 million expiring contract. We will gather the contracts you don't want on your books anymore, and we'll take them. We'll take three NBA players, whoever they are, and you can use Russell Westbrook to sell tickets, to (laughs) rebuild your salary cap, to release. And we will take any three players. I mean, I honestly think that's where they're going to have to start, and I still don't know if they're going to get takers or somebody that doesn't say, yeah, we'll take them, but send us – your unprotected 2027 first round pick. I just think it's going to be really hard. It sounds hopeless. Well, it's not hopeless if you have LeBron and AD. I mean, just to be clear, with they're both healthy and playing, they're really good. But, Dan, when they won the title in the bubble, they were the number one defensive team there in Orlando. And last year, they were remember, they were in really good position before LeBron sprained his ankle. It was a really bad injury, and it derailed them. But for the season, they were – the number one defensive team, number one. So they had good bones, if you will. And so when they traded for Russell Westbrook, a lot of people focus on, oh, it was just a terrible fit with LeBron. And that's true, of course. But to get Russell Westbrook, they traded away the core of their defense. Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Kyle Kuzma were really valuable defensive players. And the guys they replaced them with were not. And so they've gone from number one defense. I didn't check it this morning, but like they've been down around 20. That's a catastrophic fall when their team was built on doing that. And so that is the issue. How do you recapture that when you've already gassed all of your resources to get a player that is not working? And I know you brought this up that LeBron works in four-year increments whether it's Cleveland, Miami, Cleveland, now with Los Angeles. Well, I don't think he can work in a four-year increment now in L.A. Is, is he there for the rest of his career? I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think he wants to go anywhere. Um, you know, I was looking. So the Lakers team is the oldest team in the NBA. And so I, I wanted to know the oldest team since when. And I had somebody here at ESPN go research it for me. And he said, it's the oldest team since the 2010 Cavs. <laughs> and I was not surprised at all. And by the way, that doesn't even include the 2014 Miami Heat, where when they lost that finals to the Spurs, I went into the locker room. Shane Battier announced his retirement in the locker room. Ray Allen basically brought the ball to the one-yard line on retiring. And Richard Lewis, who started the game that night, never played in the NBA again. So three of the you know, three of the starters, three of the top six players from his last year in Miami never played again. So this is what happens. When you have LeBron, you pour yourself in, you trade your draft picks, you sign veterans, you do everything you can, and a franchise just can't do that over and over and over. And two years ago, I would have told you, oh, they have AD who's in his mid-20s and in his prime. Maybe that won't happen now. Maybe the window will extend. Maybe they've learned from watching what happened with the Cavs and then the Heat, and then the Cavs again. Because, by the way, Cavs 2018, they were relying on you know, Kyle Korver and Jeff Green and stuff like that. And then they do the Westbrook trade. They sign you know, five guys in their mid to late 30s, and we are in the exact same spot. And when LeBron left the Heat, they were lucky that they still had Dwayne Wade. But when LeBron left the Cavs the first time, they were awful. When the Cavs, LeBron left the Cavs the second time, they were awful. The Lakers, if LeBron were to leave right now, would be – you know, non-playoff team. That's what being with LeBron for a year on, a year out does. If you look back, and I know, you know, the benefit of hindsight there, why couldn't LeBron make it work with the younger players that he had? That that nucleus is still a pretty good nucleus and even, you know, good players on other teams. Why was he not willing to make that work? Well, first off, LeBron has never valued draft picks or playing with young players. If you go look at his career, He's only 
played with a handful of first round picks um, because most of them have been traded. And I, I always remember when he came back to Cleveland, you know, and he, he wrote his, you know, letter and he was like, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing with these guys. And he didn't mention Andrew Wiggins, who had just been drafted with the number one overall pick like 15 minutes beforehand. He was like, bye-bye, Andrew. I'm interested in Kevin Love. And so part of it is, is the teams that he's playing with reacting to him. And so one of the young players he's actually played with in the last couple of years is Taylor Horton Tucker, was one of the few guys who have been a draft pick who he's taken along, like Daniel Gibson, Taylor Horton Tucker, Norris Cole. Like, this is the list, Dan. That's the list. It's never been something he's valued. Like, when we saw what he did um, when, he, when he retweeted Les Snead, who traded all those picks, and, you know, he, the, the, the parade in L.A., he wore that shirt that said, F them picks. LeBron tweeted that, and he goes, legend. I think he said legend with multiple exclamation points. LeBron's like, get me one of those shirts. Like, that's the way LeBron feels. So it's hard to stay young when you perpetually are wanting your peers, and LeBron's peer age is going up and up and up, to be with you on the team. Brian Windhorst, ESPN senior NBA writer. Is your answer different if I say who should win MVP and who will win MVP? Well, I've pretty consistently voted in our straw polls for Embiid. I think he's been amazing. I think he plays at both ends of the court. Um, I think the things that he does, I mean, like people talk about Nikola Jokic, what he does for the Nuggets offense. And of course, in fact, earlier this year, Dan, I, I, you know, most of the media doesn't sit on the floor anymore. They've sold those seats. They've moved us off. I've got gray hair now. When all my hair was brown, I sat on the court. You used to probably have sat on the court many times. I sat in a game in Oklahoma City, and I sat in the, like the second or third row. So I was basically eye level with Jokic, and I, so I could kind of see what he, seed, what he sees. And it, my admiration for him went even higher because I could see actually how great his reads were in real time at his eye level. I won't take anything away from him. But if you watch him bead, he does a lot for the Sixers offense. He comes out in the high pick and roll. He sets things up. He plays inside. He plays outside. I believe uh, he still to this moment has my MVP vote. But our straw poll that Tim Bontemps on our staff did, and this, I can't emphasize this enough. And I noticed that Caesars moved their odds after this poll came out because Caesars has watched this poll. This is a poll of 100 likely MVP voters. There's only 100. And when Tim does this poll, he doesn't call 25 people in New York and 25 people in Los Angeles. He calls people in every NBA city he talks to people in Italy. He talks to people in, in outside the country who because who, those guys get MVP votes. He talks to broadcasters. He talks to radio people. He talks to TV, to, to writers. It's a real poll of how the voters are feeling. That came out yesterday, and that poll says Jokic is in the lead. It's, it's wow. not a huge margin, but he is in the lead, and the, and the odds immediately started flipping, and they were right because you can make a case stand for somebody else, and I could listen to it and agree with you, this is where the voters are thinking today that it's Jokic. Having voted on it for many, many years, it always felt like we were looking for a new story. When in Carl yeah. Malone, Charles Barkley, and I kept voting for Jordan. And then, you know, media members in, the, in Phoenix and Salt Lake would be critical of me. And I go, I just know what I know and I know what I see. Mike's the most valuable player. I, I was watching Giannis last night against Embiid. I think Giannis is competing with himself. And we take him for granted. Like, he's gotten to the point where we take him for granted, which isn't fair to him. And we told that story, and I said I thought Embiid was going to win it, or at least the last couple of months, because we haven't told that story. I don't know how much that factors into this, Brian. We've told the joke, you know, Jokic story. This is the one that it feels like, all right, Joel Embiid is next. It's like the, um, the actor who hasn't won the Academy Award. Okay, exactly now it's your right. turn. That is exactly right. Well, I'll just bring up the classic case of this, Westbrook. You know, there hadn't been an MVP who hadn't had been on a 50-win team in something like 25 years. It was like Moses Malone. I can't remember if it was with the – I think it was with the Rockets in the early 80s. Typically, the MVP came off one of the three or four best teams in the league. But that year with Westbrook, we were all into that story of the get-back season on Durant. And then he put the cherry on top with the triple doubles. And I remember this game that he played in Denver right about this time, maybe a little bit later, early April. It was the night he, he guaranteed himself, I think, the triple double. He knew he was going to get it. 
to the average of triple double. And he hit like a 25 footer at the buzzer to win the game and eliminate the Nuggets from playoff contention. I'm going to underline that. He eliminated the Nuggets from playoff contention in Denver. And the crowd in Denver gave him a standing ovation. It's not a good sign for the Nuggets faithful, <laughs> but was an indication of how much those fans loved the story. They loved the story of Westbrook getting back at Durant by doing this. And in a situation mm-hmm. like that, the story carried the day. So they finished like the sixth or seventh seed, and he won the MVP. So that's definitely a case. The other thing is, you're right. Giannis isn't contending against Embiid and Jokic. He's contending against himself from previous years. When he won his second MVP a couple years ago, he won Defensive Player of the Year and MVP. It's one of the great seasons we've seen in the modern era. I voted for LeBron, I think, seven years in a row, between 2009 and 2000, about 15, 16. He won four of them. I would argue that some of those years, he was still the best player. But the first year in Miami, the story wasn't great. First year back in Cleveland, they were 19 and 20 coming out of the gates. It's, it is, you, everything that you said, I couldn't have said better myself. How good is LeBron's son? Um, he's very good. Uh, he's going to be a, I, I don't know if he's going to go play in college. If he were to go play in college, he would probably get a high major offer. Whether he would be a star on that team, I don't know. Um, having seen him play, he is in tremendous physical condition. He is in better condition than his dad was at the same age because his dad never lifted a weight in his life till he was 16. This kid was having personal training, I don't know, when he was 10. So he's done incredible work on his physique. He's very, very conditioned. But he is not the athlete LeBron was. LeBron was six foot seven, six foot eight, 240 pounds when he was 17. When he came into the NBA, he was, was one of the few 18-year-olds ever who physically wasn't intimidated. The only player that intimidated LeBron as a rookie was Ron Artest. He was the only guy who could get into LeBron. That would not be the case for most 18-year-olds. So Bronny is very skilled. I talked to um, – I think he's listed as a four-star prospect. So think about that. A four-star prospect, that's what Kentucky, North Carolina, UCLA go after. He would be able to play a school like that. How many four-star prospects make the NBA? I don't know what the percentage is, but it's not super-duper high. Obviously, if he wants to be in the NBA, he'll get a chance in the NBA. That will be the his last name will carry him as to that. But I think assuming that he's going to be ready at age 19, that's a big ass, Dan. Maybe he will be. I mean, that's two years from now. Maybe he will be. But when I saw him play, he was a freshman. And there were two guys on his team that year that are now in the NBA. Zaire Williams, who's with the Grizzlies, and Brandon Boston, who's with the Clippers. Those guys, when you saw them, you were like, whoa, (laughs) I will see that gentleman in the NBA in two years. I don't get that same vibe. And like people I talk to don't get that same vibe about Bronny. There are actually people, and I've never seen his younger son, Bryce, play. There are people who have told me that Bryce actually might be the better prospect amongst the two, but his, but Bryce, I think is 13 or something like that. I don't, I don't know if we can go that far down the list. I remember watching when Lonzo ball was playing and Leangelo and LaMelo and I'm watching. And I think he was a freshman at the time, LaMelo. And I said, that's the guy who I think is going to be the best player, but he didn't know how to play. Like he was just all over the place and they, they, you know, they, all they did is run and gun. Lonzo loved his passing. Leangelo could shoot. I thought LaMelo had the, the entire game. I didn't know that he would be this good, but, you know, you start to see guys in the embryonic stages, and then you, you know, that, that's what they're always trying to project. It's really hard to do. And I, that's why when somebody says, can Bronny play in the NBA? And I'm like, I don't know. I've watched him play, and there are times when he's on the floor, and I don't know he's on the floor. When LaMelo was on the floor, I knew that he was on the floor. He was involved in everything. Yes, and I mean, I, I don't think it's a matter – I mean, I don't think it's a matter of comparing him to LeBron because LeBron was the greatest high school player that people who watched high school basketball for 50 years had ever seen. Um, but I would argue that it's – I don't know if he's making the best decision about putting the pressure on. 
Ronnie? Maybe he is. I mean, maybe this is – he thinks he's going to react with pressure. But when you go out and say, I really can't wait to play with my son, because, you know, when LeBron was coming of age, Ken Griffey and Ken Griffey Jr. were, were doing that. And Ken Griffey Jr. was a megastar in the world of sports when LeBron was 13, 14, 15 years old. The guy at, um, at Ned Nike who was been like LeBron's father figure, Lynn Merritt, before he handled LeBron for Nike, he handled Ken Griffey Jr. LeBron's first game as a Cav in the Nike seats, Phil Knight, Lynn Merritt, Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> and World Wide West. But um, Ken Griffey Jr. came to his first game. So I think he had this affinity for that for decades now. It's, it's a lot to ask from the young man. And I will say this. I spent time at Sierra Canyon where he plays in the San Fernando Valley. Dan, I couldn't be more impressed with a, with a high school basketball program. And the thing that I love about it is that there's no, they're not pretending what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to prepare professional athletes. He couldn't be at a better place. I'm sure it's one of the reasons why LeBron sent, you know, moved out to LA. He's getting every advantage possible. And one of the things is they don't let, Bronny do interviews like when I went to see him play wasn't allowed to interview him so I thought oh that's really good and then I saw that there was a camera crew following him around including <laughs> all the way out to his car to get into his this is as a 14 or 15 year old freshman all the way out to his car to get into his car and the camera crew was from LeBron's company so I was like you know I was like I don't know are we protecting him or are we not and you know I don't have a star 17 year old son what do i know i'm not an nba superstar i don't know but i i i, I worry that his experience is not going to be maybe what it could be it's always great to catch up with you thanks for joining us brian thanks for having me dan have that, a good day that's brian winhorst espn senior nba writer he always has something you haven't heard he always does and a lot of great stuff there with uh, lebron but i always I, I look back and i know lebron doesn't like playing with younger players but you had that young nucleus with the lakers and I like that nucleus. Not everybody was all in on Lonzo Ball. And I thought that you could, you could make him at least an adequate shooter. And I liked Ingram. Uh, I mean, even Julius Randle. I think they, Kuzma, I, Kuzma, I think, kind of bought in on, I want to be a Laker. Like, I want you to be great. And maybe he felt like, you know, he was going to, his growth would be stunted because you're playing with LeBron. And I, I understand all of those things. I just... If you said to LeBron, you could have that younger nucleus or you could have Anthony Davis. I know AD helped him get another title. I don't know if he's going to help him get another one. 